Howdy folks, and welcome to the Hunting Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and we got another great one for you today. Today we connect with Bert Soren, who is the uh, the president and co-owner of Sorenex Exercise Equipment. Um, and beyond that, he is a lifelong hunter, a great guy, and he comes out strong today um, with some great stories. This is probably one of my favorite episodes, so I hope you guys enjoy. Um, make sure you get out there and, and check the show notes. Follow Bert, Sorenex, and the Hunting Stories official on Instagram. Uh, I'm going to stop right there. Let's go ahead and kick this thing off and let Bert tell you some of his stories. All right, Bert, here we are, man. Welcome to the Hunting Stories podcast. How are you? Thank you, Michael. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I, I like there's just a podcast to tell hunting stories. That's that's half the fun of hunting is get telling your story. Yeah, man. I uh, I was on a road trip and I got tired of listening to how turkeys gobble, basically. And I was just like, <laughs> I need something different. I just want to hear some stories. And there's, you know, there's stories in every podcast, but nothing that was just stories. And I just wanted to be stupid and drive. Um, so here we are, you know, 50 episodes or so later. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're here, man. It was, uh, I think I reached out to you yesterday and boom, we're, we're on the line. Um, hey, and all I really yeah. asked you about was your beard, which I, my beard, I'm working on it. You know, it's a work in progress. Yeah, no, but it's nothing compared to yours. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, but, so uh, for the listeners, I'm, I've been getting my beard caught when I do some Olympic lifting and I asked Bert how he, how he fixes that. Um, and I never expected your answer. I don't know if you want to share it, but, uh, yeah, I, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I'll be honest, my Olympic lifting is, um, a lot less than it was years ago, but still, uh, yeah, I've really gone to Olympic lifting variable variants, which would be like a high pull or a snatch pull or a snatch still works. Okay. But if it's long enough, it'll still get messed up, but I've just taken a headband you know, and then just kind of tuck it, tuck it in and then tighten it on the, on the chest or even kind of wrap it around. If it's long enough, you could have actually just stuck in my hat. Which That's is awesome. Kind of weird. <laughs> I think if you kind of do it, maybe, um, you know, it'll work like that in a pinch, but honestly, I mean, at 46 years old, I don't do as much Olympic lifting as I did through my twenties and thirties, partially just because I believe it's just not as fun as it used to be when it was my job. <laughs> yeah. I bet, uh, I bet, man. So, well, let's uh, yeah. let's take a, a small step back, and why don't you introduce yourself, Bert, so the people know who's going to be telling them some stories today? Yeah, yeah, Bert Soren, uh, uh, co-owner and president of Sorenex Exercise Equipment, Sorenex Outdoors. Um, lifelong, or at least uh, my adult life was spent under a barbell and in athletics and strength and conditioning. I've uh, been a lifelong hunter and outdoorsman. And uh, those are the two things I really, you know, uh, those are the two things I really get down with. So, yeah. That's awesome. I mean, we need to look up Sornex if you feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put I'll put links to everything that you need in the show notes. So if anyone is interested in checking you guys out, cool. it'll be right there for them. Um, but yeah, man. Uh, well, that's awesome. I'm a newer hunter. I've only been doing it for like seven or eight years and trying to figure oh, it cool. out. Stumbling, stumbling along my way, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. What got um, you into it? You know, I was invited on a hunt, and at the time I was, you know, early 30s, and uh, everyone in their early 30s gets really into smoking meat. <laughs> and so I was like, well, you know what? If I'm going to be eating a lot of meat, I should probably, like, feel what it's sure. like to harvest my own. Um, and I went out there and, and did it, and I was like, whoa, this is a totally different, like, it's just different than anything I'd ever done in my life. You know, I'm yeah. Like, so were you like one of the Steve Rinella kind of, uh, Steve Rinella, Joe Rogan era converts, like, no, like no, I found them in. a little bit after. Yeah. I, uh, so 
again, my in-laws got me in and really they, they didn't know what they were doing. We just went out to camp, drink beers, had fun. And I love that. Yeah. But then when we actually killed an elk in Western Washington, I was like, okay, okay, this is, this is something yeah. special. And then I moved to Colorado and my brother-in-law was like, I'm moving there next year, do some research. I did all the Washington stuff. So I just dove into it. Um, Randy Newberg was a, a big part of kind of like what I was learning about. So, uh, you know, that a pretty heavy conservation kind of background to my like learning stuff. And then of course, yeah, Joe Rogan to a point, not really. I think I was pretty into it before I even learned who Joe Rogan was. Sure. Uh, Ranella, of course, but really it was, uh, just my in-laws. And then I, I have to credit, uh, uncle Randy. That's awesome. Western Washington isn't a very easy elk hunt either. That's my, my wife's from, from Northwest Washington and that'd be a tough place to hunt them. Yeah, you know, uh, only I, we went three or four years, and I only saw one. Uh, well, two technically. We did shoot one of them, so it, it worked oh, out. Hey. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it was that moment that that bugle fest that we got in the middle of that just completely had me hooked. Um, and yeah, uh, we'll do it, it's man. a it's a funny story. I mean, I may not share. I'll, I'll share it with you later, Bert. But it, I it basically I shot half an elk because my brother in law shot it first, and then I saw an elk. Didn't shoot it because there was a camp right behind it. And right. then look the other way. There's another elk, and I shoot that elk because it's standing there. Turns out it's the same one that he shot. So um, either way, well, you shot an elk, you cleaned, and he ate an elk. So that's true. That is true. All it of that, delicious. all that, the math works out. I still need some antlers. We decided as a, we didn't talk about it ahead of time, but uh, as a group, we decided that the the antlers go to my brother-in-law since he got the first shot. Both of them were absolute kill shots. We just right. Right, then it's, out. it's an arm wrestling or Indian burn wrestling or something like that after that. <laughs> yep. Right. Cool, man. Well, why don't, uh, why don't you set the stage? I don't know if you have any stories in mind, but. Uh, oh, there's, I've, I've had some, a, a lot of just kind of normal hunts and I've had some that have been pretty wild. Um, I mean, I'm thinking my, my, I've only killed two elk. Um, both of them were, were pretty, pretty crazy stories actually. Um, yeah, we could do if we're on elk, that's fine. Uh, so yeah, my, my first, well, my first elk hunt was probably 20 something years ago, but my first successful elk hunt was probably six, six or seven. And a buddy of mine, Brady Cervantes, took me elk hunting, guided me up in uh, Montana for my uh, 40th birthday. And so we went up there and camped and um, got on elk uh, off and on. It was, you know, still public land and getting after him and everything. And it was, we would see him from super far off, blah, blah, blah. You know the deal. Um, yeah. And so like the last day we're, we're uh, kind of down in the valley and we see this big alfalfa field and there's like 80 head of elk in this field. And we're like, I was like, dude, let's go schwack one of those. Like, let's go. You know? <laughs> like day five or six, you're like, let's go, let's go. And, um, and he goes like, yeah, I don't think we can. Like, that's kind of more like, I wouldn't say the city limits. Cause you know, there's not much of a city, but it's like, or, something along the lines of there, you can't do that. Uh, it's a private area. And he goes, just, just the good part is, is the guy who owns that property is actually the guy we're camping on his property now. So let me call Brian and see if we could, we can hunt there. <clears throat> so he says, yeah, you can, but I don't know some type of stipulation. It was bow only. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have my 300 wind mag and, you know, we're up there rifle hunting during the rifle season and the elk are like just kind of hanging out in this big, I mean, it's probably a mile by a half mile, <clears throat> you know, giant pasture. Gotcha. And of alfalfa that's probably eight to 10 inches deep. And so uh, he goes, well, 
if you had a bow, you could go, you know, you could kill one with a bow. And I go, well, I don't have a bow with me. And and we kind of joked at camp and I was like, well, does anyone have a bow I could borrow? And then, you know, and I'd bow hunted my whole life, but I also didn't really realize like how personal a bow is to everyone, you know, it, like oh, fit, yeah. shape and everything. I got a story about that. I'll tell you when you're done. Yeah. So they're like, yeah, well, like we do, uh, as I, he's like, yeah, my dad's about your size. And, uh, yeah, let me, let me go see if he can let you borrow his bow. I'm like, yeah, Roger that. Let's go. So he, a couple hours later, he brings his bow back to me and he's like, all right, try it out. I shoot once at 20 yards, once at 40. I was like, good to go. Like close enough. Let's, let's roll. So we go out to this field and we kind of, we're sitting about a half mile, mile out from him. And they was like, man, they're just kind of bedded down. It's like, all right, well, they're like, all right, go get them. And I'm like, well, is, it, is this possible? And they, they all kind of laugh. They're like, not really but they're all recon scout snipers. They're like, yeah, I mean, if you skull dragged yourself into the herd, you know, across that giant open field, you know, and, and took a shot on one, it's doable. But these are all like snipers telling me this is like, you know, they, they saw it was yeah. like possible, but not probable with their skill level. And I think they were just trying to entertain me like, yeah, go ahead have fun with that one, Bert. You know, <laughs> I'm like, oh, so this isn't like a thing. They're like, no, it's not really a thing, but like, yeah, go give, give it a shot, you know? Yeah, you got to try, right? Got to try. So they sat up on this hill, like, you know, half mile, mile out, whatever it was, it kind of across this road. And so I, I, first thing I was like, well, let me try to get in on them. So there was this little creek. And so I kind of, I, I got one of their sons to give me an inflatable raft. I was, my idea, I was going to (laughs) float into the herd and then kind of climb out of the bank, you know, because I'm like, maybe I could stay below profile. And so like, I lay down on this boat that was like for a little kid and, you know, you know the story 30 yards into it the boat sinks and like you know everything and so I, I stashed the boat then I'm like waist deep in the water it's raining I have like rain gear for some reason on that like I had crappy rain gear like frog togs or something that like tore off my legs as I'm walking and or as I'm crawling so like I left that there and I just like keep like getting dwindled down like as I'm getting closer and closer <laughs> so I'm crawling through this like this alfalfa that's like basically as deep as I am deep. And I would put the bow ahead of me and I'd pull myself with the bow. And I'm thinking like, I, I kind of came to the realization is this is probably just an exercise in futility and I'm just yeah. being pained. Yeah. But, but your buddies are having a great time. But they're having probably. a great time. <laughs> Watching you do so this. <laughs> we get getting closer. I keep getting closer and closer. And I would like, this was before I had any of the, like the apps. And so I would like, I'd lay on my back and I'd take my phone out and I would screenshot my place on Google maps and I texted to my buddy. I'm like, all right, where, where are the elk compared to me? Cause I know I couldn't put my head up and he's yeah. like, you know, a thousand more yards West. And so I'd have to like, look at the sun and figure out what direction that is. And then just start crawling that way crawling, crawling, crawling. <laughs> so this goes on for hours and they're like, they're still there, dude. Like, I'm like, all right, cool. So I get long story short, I get within like, 40 yards of these group of cows like oh crap i'm i'm on them right and this is so i i like an idiot i picked out there was six bulls in the group one was probably a low 300s like a pretty big six by big wide guy i'm like i'm gonna try to kill him so i got i finally got behind this like row of of hay bales so i'm like this is like a little hallway i'm just gonna cruise behind this thing i'm gonna pop up and smoke his ass and so he was still four or 500 yards off and I'm kind of working my way in. And then I had to like cross the Creek. You got to do all this crap. So I get within like 
probably 150 yards. And then they spook for some reason. I'm like, ah, oh, crap, you know, and they, they bolt, they go about a half mile down this field and they're hanging out. I don't know what spooked them. Maybe me, maybe I, whatever. Yeah. So I'm just laying there in the mud and everything. I text my wife. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, well, it's the last day. And she's like, why are you laying halfway in a Creek right now? And I'm like, well, <laughs> cause I'm having, she's like, you're having a ball, aren't you? I'm like, I'm having a ball. So we're hanging out. And then, you know, I kind of creep into position. I kind of saw this barn out in the middle of this big pasture and I click, I take my range finder, I click the bar, click the barn, just to kind of look, I go oh, 120 yards. Okay. Interesting. And I said, well, let me get in this place where the, the, the Creek kind of pinches down and closes down this field in case they come back and dang, right. If I didn't get into position, I look and the whole herd is coming back down the pipe and I'm like, Oh, here we go. They're like 800 yards off at the time. They're coming, coming, coming. So I'm looking, I'm like, I'm guessing, I la- I laugh now as I'm like, I look at the pins, I'm like, all right, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Okay, 60 is my longest pin. I'd range off this little barn thing. I'm like, it's 120 yards. I'm guessing that the elk will come right in the middle, like halfway between the point and the barn. So the big bull is the last one in the crew. He's coming, he's coming through and I'm like, all right, I was like, do I wait for him? But then he might have a cow in front of him, you know, or the whole herd could spook. And I said, last minute, I was like, finally, legal bull, he's getting it. And yeah. uh, and so the cows start coming, passing through. And uh, at first I saw him coming. So I held my phone up and like videoed it for about 10 seconds, then pulled it back down so I could see. I used like my arm, like a little periscope out of this creek. <laughs> and uh, so I could see him coming and I just kind of timed it in my head what I thought would work. So I like drew in the creek and just stood up out of the creek where my head just went over the berm. And right as I did, there's this little five by five that kind of like looked over and saw me. And I just I put it on his chest and let it rip. But again, not just eyeballing it at 60 yards, which was very dumb. And just assuming he was at 60. And uh, so he saw me. He starts he put the, the gas on. I hit about three and a half feet back. It hit him right right in front of his hip. And I'm like, oh, crap, I freaking, you know, I gut shot him. Well, also hit the femoral artery. So oh, he down quite like 10 yards, legs went out from under him. And I get a text from my buddy. He's like, dude, shoot the one sitting down. And I was like, what the hell do you think I did? <laughs> you know? And he was just like, you've got to be kidding. And so it, it tips over and he's Native American. So for like a half mile away, I hear this, <laughs> like coming out of, the, out of the mountains, right? Like he's just, because yeah. so, he's watching this whole play, play out. And we were just dying laughing. He's like, there's no freaking way that you borrowed a boat and killed an elk on the walk at 60 yards. And I was like, it it was totally luck. Like everything about it was luck, but he dropped within 10 yards. We were able to drive the truck to him. It was was like this, that was my first elk, you know, it's like, that's an amazing story, man. But it's pretty neat because I got some, I still have the video from like going up over the Creek and, you know, even like the screenshots where I didn't know where I was kind of walking my way through and, um, <laughs> you know, so that was my, that was my first elk. And then my, my second and, and last was last year in Utah. And again, a day five, uh, scenario. And I was with the guide and we kept, we were passing up young bulls and we had a couple shots of some big ones. And I stalked in on one or two, you know, you get them blown. <clears throat> and then, um, last day we look across and uh, we see a, a, a big bull, like he was a hammer. He was screaming off about 400 yards. We had a bomb down this hill, bomb back up the next side. And I was pretty gassed because it was like day five. 
So I guess get to the crest of the hill where I could kind of sneak and poke in there. And this bull, he's probably a 340 bull, like walking up this hill. He's about 80 yards away. And I was like, ah, that's that's a little, that's a little far. So he's sitting there in the guide. And the whole weekend, I watched one of Corey Jacobson's videos about shooting uh, elk and deer frontal, which they always say don't do it with a bow, but like there's this yeah. little pocket right below their neck. And I I've seen the video, video you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It was just so cool. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I guess it's doable. And I talked to the guy. And I was like, have you already shot one frontal? He's like, no, nah, we've tried it. One guy tried one. And, and you know, and it was pretty well known bone. I'm not mentioning his name, but like he hit low on the brisket, blah, 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 blah. He's like, oh, we don't really do it. And I showed him the video. He's like, yeah, I guess it would work. Like if you had one close. And we just kind of jokingly talked about it the whole time, not thinking that that would happen. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so we're sitting there, that bull's walking off. My guide rips off of, of, you know, a bugle and everything. These two bulls rip from both sides, probably 70 yards in each direction. One comes out of the trees at 44. I look at my guide and he's like, dude, he's old. He's not a monster, but he's old because we were looking for an old bull. So I went ahead and got the full draw because all he had to do, I was hiding behind this tree and all he had to do is clear the tree and like, he's gone, right? And he keeps quartering in exactly behind the tree. So he keeps walking closer and closer and closer and closer. And so I'm at full draw for a while. And thankfully, I'd been training like all summer, like holding long, long, long time before I'd shoot. So I was very confident. And like, if he comes in in the next few minutes, he's dead. Like this is, not he can't get away at this distance. He stops at 11 yards behind this tree. And then finally, I see his weight shift forward. Like he's about to come into it. So he's quartering in front of me broad open at eight yards and oh, I'm, at full, I'm at full draw and he's belting screams off eyes bu- eyes bulging oh, man and it was like this is on every you. everything you dream of an elk hunt, exactly. right exactly he sees me just sees there's something stand behind this little tree and squares up perfectly like dead down the pipe and i'm looking through my sight and all i see on every side of my housing is just brown and it's like, <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. And that pin was sitting right below, right on his throat. And before I could even think of it, it just went, right? Totally buries him. He turns, blood sprays out the side as he turns. He runs 40 yards. As he tips over, it was pretty gory, but cool. The sun's rising behind him. As he tips over, he he leaves a pink geyser that goes up in the the sun behind him. And I'm just like, holy (laughs) crap. And my guy, my dude's hiding, you know, he's like, you just blow, you just nailed him. I was like, yeah. And he was like, you should freaking shot him frontal. Like we were laughing about it for a week. And he was like, it worked. I was like, yeah. yeah. And we lasered it. It was 6.3 yards. Jeez. And, uh, <laughs> and so he died at 40 yards, whatever, but it was hilarious because he'd been videoing all of other shot opportunities with his, with his camera. And I was like, please tell me you got that on video. He's like, no, nah, man, I was hiding. I didn't know. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, the the, the, oh, the video of my entire hunting career, frontal elk at six yards would have been like, because I've watched that video of a couple guys shooting and like super, super close. I'm like, what if that happened to me in real life? It happened to me. And I'd carry around a Tacticam on the front of my bow for an entire didn't week. Have it on, did and you? I forgot to turn it on. Oh, it was like, no it would have been the coolest first person <laughs> video of all time. And I remember walking over, I was like, this is awesome but I can't relive it a thousand times now. So my two elk have been anything but normal. Like I haven't got like the bugling stops, you know, broadside at 30 yards and you put one back there. Like that just seems way too normal for the nonsense I come up with generally. 
That's amazing. Those are amazing elk stories. Those are the most fun ones I've ever. First off, I can just imagine sending a buddy in to just crawl a mile after a herd of elk. That's so stupid. I, I was too dumb to know that that wasn't happening, right? Yeah, and, the, and I would have bet everything I have that you would not have gotten that elk, and then you did. Like just the craziest story. But sorry, yeah, I, I cut you off. No, no, it's fine. And it's the funny part was about like the frontal, and and uh, so. So John Dudley and Jocko were in camp with me and all three of us killed our bulls that day with frontal shots. No it was way. like all three of us put them right down the, and no one had talked about it beforehand. It was like, those are just the shots we all got. Now John's was a bit further and whatever, but like, you know, mine barely was out of the air, out of the bow at that time. But yeah. I, it drove a, uh, I'm using a rage tripan uh, NC um, and it drove that arrow. It was stuck in his hip. I was going to ask, like, did it make it all the way through? It made yards. it all, made it uh, just poking out, like, right at his hip, and just, I mean, he went forty yards, and there was, just, it was, it was a wreck. So, God, man, what, a, what a great shot! Like, that is one of those. Okay, like a deer, or elk, whatever under twenty. That, that's a, that's a bonker shot. But you do have to shoot a lot higher than you would think. It's almost like mid neck versus like chest. But man, it would talk about. I mean, it drove that arrow. 50 inches, 60 inches. I mean, it was, it was not. So I've seen that video you're talking about with Corey Jacobson and that elk turns and it's just like a hose goes off of red. So it's, and there's that other really cool video that there's that kid or somebody, it was like a darker, uh, he was coming through the woods and he smokes him with a, with a Luminoc and it it sticks in his chest and the elk kind of wobbles and he just lays down on his face, but you see the blood just pouring out of his chest. He doesn't even know what happened. And it was like, I remember showing my buddy going, this is the dream of elk hunting. And then actually <laughs> that happened. It was like, well, that was that one time. <laughs> so yeah. to go back, you talked about bows being very custom. I've just have a quick story about like, this is when I realized, yeah, no one else is shooting my bow. I assume you're, you're a larger guy. I'm a larger guy. I've got a 32 inch draw and my buddy's oh, like, wow. hey, can I shoot your bow? And I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. Okay. Like get, a, get over here. And so we go down to this riverbed and I set up a thing and he put, and he's like, you know, it's 72 pounds and he, he struggling. He gets it back there. And I'm like, and he's like, when do I stop? And I'm like, just, it, it'll let you know, you'll know when you get to the back wall. Right. And he'll, so he's pulling, he's pulling, he's pulling. And the next thing I know his ears in front of the string. Oh, and I'm, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, do not shoot. Like, do not put your finger anywhere near that trigger. I'm oh like, slow. I'm like, let that thing down slowly. So I never really thought about the fact that, yeah, it's that bow is built for me. And it takes yes. a very special person to be able to also shoot. Cause I also shoot lefty. Right. So he happened to be lefty. Oh. We thought we're good. <laughs> um, actually, I'm right-handed oh, left eye dominant, but either way, man, my friend was that close to uh, just getting losing off, man. Yeah. He would have been like pure reservoir dogs. Hey, yeah. so here's, here's a funny part about that first story. So that was in Missoula in 2016, maybe. <clears throat> so years later, 2019, 20, somewhere, somewhere in there. Years later, I meet Josh Smith uh, of Montana Knife Company. Yeah. So he and I are talking. I can't remember if we were hunting or in a hunting camp, whatever. We're just talking, telling stories. And he was like, hold on a second. He goes, who, wait, who, who, where'd you get that bow from? And I was like, well, actually uh, a buddy of mine, so-and-so, so-and-so. He goes, I know the guy whose bow that is. I've heard this story before. He goes, I heard the story years ago about some guy from South Carolina came in and borrowed his bow and killed an elk. No way. I'm like, no way. He goes, no, that guy's like my hunting mentor. 
And I was like, you know, the random dude that I borrowed a bow from He because I never even met the guy. His son yeah. gave, he goes, yeah, he was like, it was Nick's dad, you know, this and that. And I'm like, holy crap, that's the guy. And he laughed. He goes, uh, you didn't do anything. He goes, I know whose bow that was. The bow did the work. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, got it. He's like, no, that bow doesn't know how to miss. And I was like, well, at least I got to kill a, an elk with a legend's bow. You know, he was like, nah, he goes, now, now I hear the story and know the connection. He goes, yeah, you, you had Excalibur with you. So it was, so it's pretty cool. So I'm actually going back up to Montana in a couple of weeks before the big sky. I'm going to go see Josh and I want to go see uh, Nick and, and go see his, his dad. And, you know, like, yeah. Hey, you know, Hey, thanks for letting me borrow your bro. This is a story that a lot of people have heard now. Like, yeah, didn't even know, yeah, but yeah, so it, it was right uh, in the area, right where Josh lived and who knew. Man, never would, world. never would have guessed that. Yeah. It's a small world. But it just tells you how great of a story that is that other guys that like literally just watched you do it have been telling that story to other folks, right? It yeah, pro- probably been- like, you're the guy. And I was like, yeah, weird thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm that guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bert, you've set the tone, man. These Those are some pretty awesome stories. Can you can you keep it up? Do you got more for us? Yeah, actually. So that was the um, that was like the year of years. So that was on October 20th i think of 2016 so i come home um that was it was like the craziest 30 days right of hunting yep. so I, I i come home i land the flight lands in columbia like at 4 50 something p.m now if our rut's a little bit early in october so it's like uh you know it's like that you know mid, mid to late october right yeah. so I'm, I'm land the plane and i'm like <clears throat> my where i hunt is like 20 minutes from the airport. So I'm like, I called my wife and I land. She's like, Oh, cool. You're home. She's like, but you know, she was at work or at school or something that night. I was like, do we have a babysitter? She's like, why are you asking? I was like, she's like, are you asking to go hunting right now? Cause I've been gone for like seven or eight days. And I was like, well, I mean, it's the rut right now. Maybe just go, let me go just sit a bean field real quick and just see if something's coming out. And she's like, you're not, you're not tired of hunting. I was like, I, she's like, you've been on the mountains for seven days. I like, right. And she goes, but you don't have all your stuff. I said, I, of course I have my, I have literally everything that I was just in Montana with a minute ago. So she's like, yeah, sure. And so I knew it was going to get dark at like six o'clock. So I had maybe 45 minutes in the stand. So I haul butt out there. I wear the same clothes I've worn on the airplane, run out of the stand. 20 minutes later, I had this wild hog come out, this big boar at probably 400 yards when he gets under three something, I take a shot. Anyway, I get her, I, I go over to him. I'm like, Oh, sweet. I've knocked him down. What pretty, pretty good distance. And I go out there and it, like, he's kind of hunched up. And uh, I was like, ah, he's not dead, you know? And I didn't have my rifle with me. I just had my concealed carry pistol, my 40. So gotcha. I shoot him, I shoot him in the chest and it's all, it was like, like you, like you soccer kicked him. He just went, like that. So he was just took it. I noticed that I knocked both of his front legs out from under him. Like I'd broken them, but I don't think I had anything in his chest. So he's like wheelbarrowing after me in this field. And he's probably 300 something pounds with pretty good cutters on him. And so yeah. I'm in the dark with like a little concealed 40 with a flashlight in my hand. I'm like, oh crap. Now, like, I mean, the truck is 400 yards away. I'm just open field. Like, and every time I'd shoot him, he would just, and he would try to, he'd turn and try to come after me. So I kept like trying to pie the angle on him, but I was just basically shooting him in that battle plate on his chest. So yeah. finally I hit him in the neck and he kind of rolled over and I put one under his chin and killed him. 
And so I was like, oh, shit, that was cool. Like, you know, big old boy. So I go, <laughs> like, I get to hunt camp and my dad's out there. He's like, dude, you're the luckiest guy ever. You kill an elk yesterday. And I, this. I was like, well, you know, it's just one of those days. So eight days later, I think we went to Missouri for our, for our normal hunt. And the one we do every year, first day I sit with my bow, nothing happens. Like I don't even see a deer. So I walk back up this, this hill, about 800 yards back up to where I kind of park. And, um, I said, let me, let me just see what's going on. So I take my, my binoculars out and I glass probably maybe 800,000 yards away to this bean field. And I could see all these like black blobs in this bean field, like dark blobs. And I know they're deer, but all right, well, cool. They're at least that's where they're feeding on cut bean field. I, I probably need to sit over there at some point. I only have a, in that stand, I have like an eight foot ladder stand. That's like 150 yards from the woods. So it's definitely a rifle set. Got it. I'm like, all right, but bow season's another two or three days. So I'm just going to bow hunt the woods. Like that's what I'm going to do. I, that was before the time I was really like bow hunted a lot. I did it early and then I just kind of got out of it. So I was busy. So I had shot two shots that year with my bow. Oh, a bow, which was the one in elk camp. The third shot was at an elk. I picked up my bow that I hadn't picked up for a year. What went to Missouri shot once at 20, once at 40. Hey, we're good. So the next, the next day, the wind is like, the wind shifted and I'm like, well, all my stands are blown up. I don't have anywhere to sit. I said, let me go sit that rifle stand, that little low rifle stand, just as an observation. I'm not seeing any deer. Let me just go see what's going on. Maybe I'll scout to see what's happening and give me something to yeah. look, you know? So I sneak in, I go to this little, it's this little lone tree right on the property line. Like it's just, it, it we had, it hadn't produced. So I'm sitting there hanging out and I just have this like light t-shirt on because it's still pretty sunny and everything. Well, these does come out and, and walk right under my tree and are sitting there eating like, uh, you know, soybeans and everything. And they're, I mean, they're, they're eight feet down from my feet and probably 20 feet away, maybe not even, I could hear them crunching the beans. So I'm yeah. totally pinned down in this bare tree, you know, I have my bow and I'm like, strangely enough, they're within bow range. Cause you're sitting that far from the wood line. You're like, what am I doing? This isn't happening. So I, I thought about, I was like, man, I'm going to smoke one of these does. Like, you know, you don't usually get a whole lot of shot opportunities in bow season, especially when I don't really scout it during the year. No yeah. cameras, no nothing. So a little while later, more does, more does keep piling out. So I get kind of pinned down. And, you know, I had like 17 deer on the field and uh, it keeps getting colder and colder. And I like, but I can't like put my jacket on everything. So I'm sitting there and this other deer comes out of the, out of the field, probably 150 yards away. I'm like, oh, cool. More deer coming. I'm not being super good with my movement because these does are so confident and they're cool so i pick up my binoculars and all i could say is cactus like and that's the only thing i thought because this thing came out and had just shit going everywhere off of his head <laughs> i mean it was like i don't even want to look at that thing anymore like i don't know i have any idea what what that is but it's just stuff everywhere yeah and so he's at probably he's trailing this doe coming out just doing that that trot you know and uh, of course, I'm knocked up, everything like that. Now, my pins were an old Cobra pin set, which is, you know, an old Matthews legacy bow, 70 pound draw, Cobra pins. I had a, a 20, a 25, a 35 and a 45 yard pin. Why I had those de denominations, it was just what I set it up as. And that's yeah. just how it was for 15 years. So 
he's he's kind of cruising. He's about at 85 yards, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, that is like just dumb, you know. And uh, and so I had looked already, and there was a a row of beans that had been cut that I'd already lasered off at 40 yards. And I was like, okay, anything inside that layer of beans, I kind of know I have a shot opportunity at. So he's he's about to kind of go away. He's going to stay at that 85, 90 yards away. And the last minute, the doe breaks to come near the other does, whether she's trying to shake him or what. Well, he, she pulls him over close to me, and he kind of slows down to that stop, right? I'm at full draw, and I'm looking at him through the pen and all this. Now, taking into account, like, I literally shot that bow two times in a calendar year. Yeah. So I'm full draw. I'm estimating range. I'm like, okay, he's further than 40 probably close to 50. And I thought, well, I got a 45 yard pin. I'm going to hold that on him because he might dip. And as I'm thinking all this, like microseconds are going by, it's on his chest. And I remember thinking right before, like I'm sitting there going, Bert, like you're, you, you haven't done the work. You haven't practiced. You haven't done all the stuff that you know you should be doing. <laughs> and then the last thing I thought, I go, man, you're 40 years old and you've never seen a deer like this on a, on a magazine cover. Like, and I remember as I was thinking that I just watched the arrow go whoop, out of my boat. I remember oh, it was in the no. air, and it was cresting, like hitting the apex point. And I remember going, oh shit, what did I do? Cause I don't remember pulling the trigger. Yeah. And so he, he turns, he turns and kind of runs off and I could see my arrow laying in the ground. I'm like, I just whiffed on a deer of 20 lifetimes. Like oh, you've shit. got to be kidding me. I couldn't hold my water. I didn't, you know. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have shot. I should have waited till rifle season and killed his ass with a 300 wind bag in three days. You know, like, I mean, I'm thought of every possible thing, right? Yeah. As he's running away, just out of reflex, I don't know why I did it. I just snort wheeze. I'm like, with my mouth. Well, and all of a sudden he just, he puts the brakes on and just stops in this like CRP field that was probably like neck high on him. Okay. And he's, and he's like at 120 yards and he just dead stops. I go, okay, well, cause my idea was I wanted to keep him in the field or like, I hope I was thinking of, of hunting the next week. I'm like, maybe if I could keep him cool, I maybe, I know I'm not going to get another shot at him with a bow, but like, maybe he's just in the vicinity, yeah. but I know I have hunters on every side of me. that are coming in town in this next couple of days for rifle season. And I'm sitting right on my property line. Like, Although I screwed up the best chance ever, I'm trying to like future invest in better shot and better chances. So I'm sitting there and uh, and I'm watching. I'm like, and after a while, like he kind of blends in the CRP. I'm like, is he still there? And I just look and I'd see like an eyeball. I'm like, holy crap, he's still standing there. Like, this is great news. Like, okay, he's not only not afraid, like he might walk back out. Yeah. So I go ahead and load up another arrow. I was like, the chances of him walking out are half, right? But I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm watching, and I'm like 20 minutes goes by. This deer is just standing stone still in the middle of the CRP. And I'm like, well, okay, my heart rate kind of started getting back down. And then he, I see some movement. I throw up binoculars real quick, and he kind of walks forward, and his back rolls up, and he hunches, and he just freaking nosedives into the ground. And I'm like, oh, good Lord, I hit him. I no way. hit this deer. Uh, and then I just started shaking uncontrollably. So every once in a while, like every 30 seconds to a minute, I'd see his head pick up out of the beans and it would shake and it just fall right back down out of the other CRP. This went on for 30 minutes. 
and, until it got pure dark and I'm sitting there jackhammering in the tree. I'm like, just die, <laughs> just die, just die. I was like, please win, don't switch. Please win, don't switch. Because I had the wind in my face. I'm just watching, you know, I but every time he'd fall back into CRP, his head would, he'd be gone. I'm like, did he sneak out? Did he like... And then every once in a while, I'd see the tines come back up and he, then they would just boom, they'd fall back down. And so I'm like about to vomit. I'm so freaked out, you know, and the biggest deer I'd kill at that point was like 145 inch, like, which is a big deer, yeah. uh, white tail. And so I'm just like, you know, I'm thinking, holy crap, this thing is probably in the 160s. It's giant, you know? <clears throat> and so um, it gets dark. I wait till it's just dead, dead, dead dark. I, I, put my bow beside my stand. I climb down, leave everything in the tree. I just sneak out downwind. I go back. I'm like, dad, I, I kill. I, I think I know I hit him. I said, but I don't know if he's going to be dead, whatever. And I could hear some coyotes starting to kick up when I'm, when I was out there. I'm like, Oh man, they're going to jump in and this is going to be horrible. So I go back I call my mentor, Mr. Wesley, who's down, still in South Carolina still. I'm like, Hey, what do you think? He's like, well, eat dinner, give him two or three hours. <clears throat> if you go back, you know, bring your bow with you. And if his eyes are closed or if he lifts that head, he's like, you nail him. Like, so we kind of gotten all this, like, and so it's me, Dan McKim, my dad. And so we were all had our bows. And so we, we got walking, sneaking in downwind. And like, I had to stop probably 30 yards from the thicket. Cause I thought I was going to puke in the field. I was so like amped up <laughs> and I was just like, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen. And I'm like, okay. So then when we got to where the thick was, where I thought he was, I just went yeah. ahead and ripped to full draw and then kind of went into it. Like I was clearing a room. Like, I mean, I figured like, Hey, if he's going to see me, I'd rather be fully ready to shoot and be on top of him where I could do like a reflex shot. So instead of like being quiet, I just kind of rushed in there and right to where he was. And I ran in and he was laying right where he was deader and crap. I literally threw my bow up in the air and I just was like, down the, threw the air off and just whipped my bow up in the air. And uh, so anyway, when we got him back, uh, he had 24 scorable points and, no and, way. and green scored 200 and a half inch. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, he, he ended up netting out different than that, but it was like, yeah. you know, Boone and Crockett deer uh, self-guided off of a rifle stand that you didn't know the deer was there. And he turned out to be 49 and a half yards and uh and it hit he shot at 45 front. yeah that's perfect it worked right and then i hit him in front of the shoulder in front of his shoulder and it only got half penetration but when he cranked his arm to turn it cut some vessels coming out of his lungs and yeah. then that snort we he did not dr dr bleed a drop of blood ever and that snort we stopped him and he bled out on his feet and had i not snort wheeze, he'd have gone to the thickest stuff imaginable i never found the deer I would have probably found the arrow and realize I hit him, but yeah. it never in a million years that I think that I would have like that he was dead. So it's like everything again, like just went boom, like everything panned out perfectly. And actually the deers are here. I'll show you. Yeah. So. Send me a picture of it as well. So I can, Oh man. So yeah, That's he just has stuff everywhere. Um, yeah. So it was, That's it was super dumb. Cool. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was one of those like, you know, what the heck kind of moments. But, and then I, and then that was, I sat the same stand four days later and killed a big 10 with my rifle in the same stand. <laughs> so I had this like 20 day period of time that I could do, I could do no wrong. And uh, right. so I laughed and I was like, well, I won't kill a deer for another decade at this point. Cause I what, would, uh, what year was that? 16. God 
Yeah, right? it was you know, wild. Like, you never have a season as good as that season ever. Like there's nothing you can ever do. It, it was it was kind of like that. And but then this last season, I had a similar one. I killed uh, my biggest South Carolina deer on November 5th. I killed 158 inch 10 point with my bow November 10th and 182 inch 14 point out of the same stand with my rifle November 11th. <laughs> and and then 163 inch in South Texas a month later. So I had a similar like it was one of those like but the 9 days was like it was just stupid like a giant deer just kept getting in range and it was like okay this won't happen again and then it didn't. <laughs> no, That's last year. amazing man. Do you, but it do was you manage years, your stupid yeah. Do you manage your property for trophy deer or is it just sort of like you have property, you go out and hunt it and South Carolina just got some great deer? Uh, no, so the, the two big, all those big ones were all Missouri. Uh, oh, okay. That, that's only a, a small piece of, that's only 130 acres. Um, and we manage it as in we don't shoot small deer. And that, that's that I, I put it up stands. I scout it maybe once every two or three years. I go in there in the summer, make sure my stands are good. And otherwise I just hunt it. I show up during the rut and I hunt it. I don't That's run awesome. cameras. I've tried to run cameras. It doesn't ever work out long-term. And so I just hunted a bunch where I know like where the deer should come. And then I just, I get there an hour before dark and I leave an hour after it gets dark or after hour before light. And I leave, I sit 12 to 14 hours a day during the rut and I don't leave. And if it looks like I need to move, I move, you know, a hundred yards or 50 yards and I reset up and I don't move again until I kill what I'm looking for. So it's a, it's gotcha. a brutal way to do it, but um, that's where all my big deer come from. Uh, but South Carolina, we have uh, a, a lease here and we, we manage it for, you know, for big deer and meaning that we just, again, don't shoot a certain age structure deer. But, um, but yeah, those are like some of the like stupid years, <laughs> you know, that would make yeah. you a lot better than you are. But it's just it's like you're in the right place at the right time. And it was like that that big, big 180 that killed two years ago with a rifle, you know, sitting sit in the stand a couple of days before the big 10 comes through. I draw, shoot cross my body on him 23 yards. And then uh, so I hit him a little far back. I thought it was a little far back. So I texted Dudley actually, cause he was, he was in hunting in Texas at that point. And I was like, Hey dude, I just hit one a little high and back. And I was like, what are your thoughts? And he was like, I was like, well, I think it might be liver. What do you give it? And, you know, we were going back and forth about, he's like, give it four hours. And I was like, all right. It's about, and I was actually shooting like a little micro head. Um, okay. They were just shooting really well. The Ozcut micro, the hurricane. It was, it's a great penetrating arrow, but Dudley's a big, uh, he's a big rage guy, you know? And so he starts yelling at me via text while we're in the tree going, dude, if you just shot a tripan that you would have watched that deer fall, blah, 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 blah. you know, he's all, <laughs> and I was like, well, that doesn't solve my problem right now, man. So like, <laughs> yeah. we were going back and forth. And so, uh, so he, he keeps checking in with me and I was like, you find him yet? And I was like, no, I hadn't gone yet. And I was waiting. I was like, I killed, shot him at eight o'clock in the morning. So I'm like, I got all day. It's cold. I'm just going to wait. So it started raining. I was like, I better get out and track him. So I was yeah. tracking and tracking. I went like almost 300 yards and I was getting spotty blood. And finally I ran out of blood and I'm just sitting there and I walked a couple more steps and I smelled him like, cause you know, you can smell a buck. And I was like, yeah. okay, I got him. And then just figured out which way the wind was. And he was just not too far, but it was, it was a great big 10 was, was certainly, that was probably my number two or three buck of all time. 
So I was on cloud nine, right? Like I'm like, this is the season, right? I nailed it. This is great. <clears throat> so when we skinned him, I found some, some holes in his hips where he'd been smashed by something, but I would already think I was like, man, this is a 250 pound 10 point. Like he's the dude around here. You know, ego gets ahead of you. But then you start thinking like his hip was pretty banged up. Like something he was leaving and something smashed him. Right. And had times. Yeah. And so I was thinking, I was like, well, maybe, maybe, you know, something else. So then we get to rifle season. I'm sitting in the same stand and I'm rattling and rattling. I keep rattling up about 130 inch nine point. And he's like, I've seen him like four times that day. And I was like, man, I'm not seeing the deer just kind of calm down. They're shut down. They're nothing really happening. Rifle season's been going for a couple of days. I'm probably just going to tag out. I mean, still a great buck, but I was like, I'm going to probably just tag out on him and call it, you know? And I looked through this, like all these little tiny branches, little pencil branches, you know, like in the Midwest, you know, goes all all the way through. And I just see like a little flash of white. So I pulled my binoculars up and I'm looking and I could see this buck and he's, or this deer. And he's like looking at me. And all I could see is this one like wrapped main beam tine that's kind of sitting in front of his face, almost like a like a baseball visor, you know? Gotcha. gotcha. And I could just see that. And I could see he has a big neck and he has this tine wrapped around. It's like, man, that's a big main beam. And it's just one of those feelings. I didn't, I didn't need to see anything else. I just knew that there's something that's telling me I should shoot right now. And uh, and so I look and there's this one little hole between me and the deer of this like morass of branches and stuff. And it's probably about the size of a softball. And this gotcha. year later, I range him he's 140 yards. So it's like a pretty good little poke through the woods, but especially when there's like no shot opportunity. So I can't lean on the stands. So I kind of have to shoot offhand. I'm shooting this little Remington model seven, 708 that I've had forever. So I, I, I pull it up, I put it on his neck and I'm like that last little bit, you kind of go, Oh, gotcha. Like you can't get away from this. I know, I know how this story ends right now. Checkmate. <laughs> but there's still that part in you that thinks like, is this the right deer? But it's just, it feels right. Right. Yeah. So boom, I shoot and I look and the deer is still looking at me. He's looking straight ahead and he's dead still. And I look in 10 yards between me and the deer is this little tiny branch just bouncing up and down. And I could see the end of it's been shot off. I'm like, crap, I hit one of those little branches. And the deer had heard the shot, obviously, but because we're in a hollow, he didn't know where it came from. So this old buck had just decided to stay in the thicket and not expose himself and just stay perfectly still until he could figure out what was going on. So I could see him. I'm like, oh, crap, like the the, the clock has started. Like he's going to bounce. I don't know which way he's going to bounce. because. So I quietly rolled the bolt, put another one in, and I was like trying to think about like kind of some of the different shoot training I've had. It's like mechanical offset between your, your bore and your sight. And I'm like, okay, my sight was going through the baseball size or softball size hole, but my bore was, was misaligned. It was underneath is why I just assumed why I hit that branch. Yeah. So I was like, all right. So I kind of straightened up my core, my torso and got up kind of trying to change the angle and just guessed. I said, if I put my cross here in the bottom of the, top of the next branch and as long as as long as it's still on the deer like on where i would be an acceptable kill shot like i think the barrel should be aligned and this 
you know, all this stuff goes through your mind in a second. And so I take the second shot, you know, boom, shoot. He turns and runs. I'm like, kind of back to that same feeling for six years later or earlier, like, ah, I just, I just probably shouldn't have shot. That was a dumb idea, but I just felt, <laughs> con- you have that one of those weird feelings, right? Yeah. It's, like when yeah. it's like, sometimes you like, you just take that shot. Cause you go, I just feel good about the shot. Like the, the, the angle or the shot or the sight picture or whatever just feels like I can make this comfortable. This this is doable and your body just takes over because you've had years and years and years of training. You just, you just kind of do it. So I shot, he ran off. I'm like, ah, you go through that whole phase of, ah, man, he didn't drop him, whatever. I didn't see any little twigs moving. I was like, okay, well, so I pack up my stuff, wait about 20, 30 minutes, walk down there get to where I knew he was no blood, no blood, no blood anywhere. I'm like, all right, well, I look on the other side and he fall down the little cliff and everything walked up the hill. I could smell him. Boom. I go, okay, he's either bedded down or he's dead or something. I walk a couple more steps and he was, he was dead. At that point, I thought he was like a pretty good eight. He turned out to be a 14. That was (laughs) actually that one is right here too. I'm going to show you this. Bert, sounds like you got a good sniffer, but you need to work on your math, man. Yeah. So that oh, was that's a beautiful deer too, man. You're going to have to send me photos. Cause we're not sending this video out. Yeah. Podcasters. Um, so so that, that was, uh, th- those were some, some fun stories of ones that kind of worked out differently. Um, but that probably make me sound way better at that than I would have been because there's been a bunch of stupid stories too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd rather be lucky than good any day. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a couple of lucky years. Yeah, it sounds it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like you had some amazing years, whether it was luck or not. It doesn't matter at that point. But Bert, this was fun, man. I know that we have kind of like a hard stop here and you gave me X amount of time and I don't oh, want to yeah. take no, advantage I mean, of that. Yeah, whatever whatever works for you. I mean, it's cool. I'm trying to think if there's been some really, really dumb <laughs> some some dumb hunting trips. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah, thankfully, most of like the really fun, interesting stuff worked out pretty well. I don't have a whole lot or there were just totally idiotic ones. I did have. All right. So this isn't my story, but this is my cousin. So we went alligator hunting. He's a hunting guide. Okay. So, uh, we went down to Santee Cooper in South Carolina a couple of years ago. Uh, this is probably heck 10 years ago. There's this island out there we called Mud Island, and there was this gigantron alligator out there that we saw for years. So we we couldn't get close to him. Couldn't we called him the Mud Island Monster, and he was 13 plus feet long, okay. just a monster. Because I killed a 12 four the year before, and Mud Island was way bigger. Yeah. And um, so we finally got on him one night, and I put an arrow in him, and it's just like the Mud Island Monster is. You know, we got him right. So he goes down. And he just sits on the bottom and actually he he swims through a tree, like a, a submerged tree. And you have the line, like it, dishes are done at that point. Like there's no way to get him out of there. Right. Yeah. So we sat there on him for a couple hours. He never came up. We ended up, ended up losing him. Right. So two years later, my cousin who was guiding me on that one, he goes out. It wasn't Mud Island, but it was one similar. He was turned out to be 13 feet, one inch long, weighed to almost 800 pounds. So same thing happens. They stick him. He goes, he swims down. This is just, this is one of the coolest stories ever. He, I freaked out when he called and told me this. I was like, this is bullshit. There's no way this actually, but I know who he hunts and pitches with. I'm like, that's the smartest and most interesting thing. So they're in the boat. He shoots. The the alligator goes down 
15, 20 feet deep, swims through a tree, you know, so now it's a submerged big tree, and then continues to swim out away from the boat. I don't know, 30, 40, 50 yards, whatever it is. So you start doing the math, you go, how do you pull an 800 pound animal back through the exact limbs that he went through and then convince him to swim up to the boat? I go, he tells me this, and I know they'd already killed the gator. I go, Jordan, how the heck did you do it? Like, how did y'all get it? And he goes, well, we sat there for about 45 minutes just trying to figure out what could we make work. And this is just where the redneck engineering comes in, which is like, <laughs> like country people will rule the world because they're, they can think divergently. So they, 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 I'm sorry, they didn't shoot him first. They had him on a reel. They had, they snagged him on triple, okay. triple. So they snagged him and they go, and I go, what'd you do? He goes, well, we took the line, pushed the button on the reel, stripped all the line off the reel to give us some slack, tied a pool noodle to the other side of the, of the end of the line. So we had it in case it fell out of our hands. But so one guy is sitting in the boat, just holding a piece of fishing line that has an 800 pound alligator on the other side that you're just hoping he doesn't swish his tail one time and, and leave. There's no way to hold him back. Right. You're yeah, just hoping yeah. he doesn't feel like moving. They go, so we took the extra line we had, we ran it backwards through the eyelets, back to the reel, spooled up the rod again with fresh line. We, they go, they went about 20 or 30 yards ahead of the where they as, assumed the tree was. They didn't have a, a, a marker, a graph, so they just assumed they figured out angle, angularly of the line where the tree was. He's light, he puts on another uh, piece of uh, another treble hook, and he goes, and we just cast it out into the lake and tried to catch our line on the other side of the tree. Yeah. I go, you cast it in a 20-foot lake in the middle of the in the middle of the nighttime in an open lake and it just assumed you would catch a piece of fishing line. He goes, That was the only option we had. I go, how many test how many uh casts? He goes, two. I go, no. you got your second <laughs> shot. He goes, the wildest thing in the world. He goes, we reeled it up and we're like, son of a bitch, the other line is in this in the hook. So they carefully without disturbing the alligator pulled it through and they had their line. So they, they pulled it all the way through the tree on the other side. He said, we've, we super fast stripped the rod again, all the, the new line off, ran it back through the eyelets, retied it to the line and the fight was on. No way. I was just like, that is the craziest hunting fishing story I've ever even like, who would have even thought of that? God, and they're no like, idea. yeah, they go. Then they said about 20 minutes after we got done, the gator decided to move. And he, and he goes, he went off and we, the fight was on. We got him up to the thing. We, we smoked him with a uh, harpoon. They got another float in him and eventually bang sticked him. And he was the biggest alligator they ever killed. That's amazing. I'll send you a picture of it too. But it was just yeah. like, that is this craziest, like, it, it doesn't even make sense. It's like a hunting and a fishing story together that like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I can't, I can't believe it was two, two casts and they pulled that I, back I go, up. What, did you cast for a few hours? He goes, second cast. Got it. I'm like, how did you even know where to cast? You didn't even know which direction the gator went. Like how much other crap are you going to catch on the bottom of the lake? Yeah. Like, right. What in the, it was just like, all right, that gator was just meant to get that's got. That's pretty cool. That's, it was that's actually amazing. Yeah. Right, and- I, I've had to graph this out for people. Cause it's still like, I still go, it, it worked. It mathematically worked. It's just. Wow. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I don't to, know what I would have done. I don't think I would have done that. I'll tell you that. 
No, no, that would have definitely not been the plan. I've actually <laughs> seen him, uh, a gator. They they killed him and he got off and he sunk. And uh, and then I later go, oh, well, how'd y'all get him to the boat? That was before they had um, hooks. I think one guy goes, well, I just got a wrench that I had in my boat and tied it to a ski rope. And I drugged it, drug it across the bottom of the lake. And every time I'd feel the gator, I'd, I'd yank it. And he goes, but he's like, well, you know how like reptiles when they're dead, their, their nerves still work. He goes, I would just hit him in the side of his tail and he would just, he would hit, he would swipe his tail real hard. And I noticed we were only in six or seven feet of water. And every time I would do it, he'd almost get to the top of the water. He goes, so I just did it enough times where I, where I got him to come to the top. I said, you made a dead alligator swim up from the bottom. He goes, yeah, when he got close, we just scooped him out of the water. I go, what? With a rope, like a ski rope and a wrench? He goes, yeah, I mean, it took a while, but like we figured he'd eventually do it. I'm like, dude. Just got a dead alligator to paddle himself up. Like paddle, yeah. I was like, he goes, well, how else are we going to do it? I'm like, I, I don't know. I was at a loss for the options. He was like, well, I mean, you know how, but it was so funny. He's like, well, you know how you know reptiles will do that. He goes, well, so we just did it until he did it for us. And I'm like, there you go. That's why you'll, yeah, you'll yeah. always have something to eat when you could think like that. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. I think you're gonna have to introduce me to your cousin, man. If he's yeah. doing all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Jordan and Trey are there. Uh, they're special. <laughs> uh, the, I bet, man. I bet anybody who's like an alligator guide is a special kind of human. I can guarantee that yeah. just right off the bat. Yeah, um, you actually have to get uh, my my mentor, my dad's best friend, Mr. Wesley. Anyone in the Sornex Outdoors world knows Mr. Wesley. His stories are way, way, way better than mine. I mean, he he's like from the old school, 73 years old, like did things Perfect. a really hard way, you know? And um, there's so many ridiculous stories of catching alligators and snapping turtles and deer. I mean, we I came up on one buck one time I shot with a bow and he was with me in Missouri. And we got over to it, and and uh, so I was about to shoot him again, and he just walks up and grabs this nine-point buck, probably 220 pounds. 70-year-old man just grabs him by the horn, and he goes, all right, stick him. And I was like, hey, Wesley, like, <laughs> like that deer's way stronger than me or you, and he has knives on his head. Like, uh, you might want to watch out. Like, if I stick him, he's going to go crazy. And he just looked at me. He's like, he's like, Bo, he's paid for. I got him. Stick him. But it was like this, the confidence of of a seven-year-old man to know when he has his hands on you, you're done. Give him the receipt. Like, yeah. this deer is not getting away. Go ahead and stick him. I got him. And I'm like, okay. And so, you know, finished him off. But you're just like, man, that confidence level. There's not a lot of people that have that. Absolutely not. Anymore Absolutely that are not. like a little squeamish. Like, if I grab him, he's going to kick my ass. It's like, his whole thing was, no, you grab him like you mean it. And, and there, you don't, you don't, I'm not going to turn him loose. So you just, you do what you got to do. And I was like, yeah. Okay. Most people nowadays won't even touch a fish, let alone walk up on a deer and just hold it down. So that's pretty impressive. You definitely have to introduce me. Yeah. Yeah. He actually, <laughs> this is, I'll tell one of his real quick ones. I know we got to go in a minute, but he had a deer, the same thing happened to, and he got over to him and didn't have a gun or a knife. And all right. So your listenership, am I going to get in trouble for telling the story? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think everybody well, just has fun with anyway, it. Anyway, he, he got over to it and the, the, the buck was broken down, but it, he thought it was alive. He started, started dead. And so he started pulling on it, it kind of came alive. So he jumped on top of it to hold it down to, you know, keep it from going anywhere. 
And so he's up near his head, but he's like, man, if I let him go, he would, he could get up and either stomp me or gore me. So I knew I couldn't like let off on him. And I didn't have my knife. I was like, what did you do? He goes, I, I held his mouth shut and I packed dirt in his nose and held his mouth shut until I suffocated him. Okay. You got to do it somehow. Right. And I was just like, brutal. Yes. But yeah. what are your options? Right. What are your yeah. options? Yeah. You might have to edit that one. out. <laughs> no, no, I'm, no, that's, that's amazing. How old was he when he did that? probably in his 30s or 40s okay god that's insane but, but you look and you're like ah, it, it sucks but you, yeah I mean, it's either that or, or let it bleed out and then the coyotes come and rip it apart later like or, if you're gonna or, ask or yeah or, or something i mean you're gonna he's gonna suffer one way or the other so like let's yeah. let's let's tie this up let's get let's get on with our lives here yeah and so um no it's it was it was pretty wild but uh no it, it's it's interesting when people could have resolve to do unpleasant things when the time is needed and you do the best you can with what you got you're, and that wasn't his 100% goal to go out and do that it was just it, things need to happen and it, it got to happen fast and sometimes it doesn't look too great yeah no it's not it's not the pretty side of hunting but it is i think i mean filling its nose with dirt doesn't sound nice but it is in this instance the ethical thing to do you just got to put it down yeah, it's it's within within a uh, a minute, you know. And you hate to say it this way, like, I mean, there people talk about like that. Oh, I wouldn't kill a deer or whatever from far away with a rifle. Like, get up close. It's like, hey, that's about as that's about a mono mono as it gets, right? Like, yeah, that's as intimate as it gets. And unfortunately, you know, some things have to happen at times. And I bet he never left his hunting knife ever again. Like, he's like yeah, probably doesn't and- want to do that again. Right, right. Yeah. And who knows where it was or if he could get to it or not. But it's just yeah. one of those like, I'm sure that wasn't his uh, method of choice. Absolutely. But Absolutely, Bert. anyway, <laughs> some fun. Yeah, hunt anyway. yeah, man, this this is this gonna be one of my favorite episodes. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> you just ripped it off right off the bat. So uh, Bert, thank you so much, man. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm gonna go buy a package of headbands to keep my beard down, and uh, and I'll be in touch, man. So thank you again. Take care, Michael. Oh, hey, actually, if you want to, real quick, I know I almost got carried away here, but if you want to give the people a place they can find you, your Instagram, yeah, company, yeah, Bert Soren, B E R T Soren S O R I N or Soren X uh, on uh, Instagram or Soren X Outdoors. If you're a, um, an outdoor person uh, listening to hunting stories, Soren X Outdoors is probably for you. We have a bunch of cool stuff coming this year to trained for hunting and uh that's what we're doing sweet man sweet and again i'll put all that stuff in the show notes so bert thank you this was uh, this was a lot of fun man i appreciate it hopefully you had a good time too i did michael thank you sir (laughs) all right thank you all right guys that's it another couple stories in the books i want to thank bert of course for coming on the podcast from uh, me reaching out with some beard questions to getting him on here recording was like maybe 18 hours so he was excited Um, i hope he had as much fun as i did and i hope you listeners had as much fun listening to his stories as as i did Um, so that being said guys thanks again for tuning in again make sure you follow bert sorenx sorenx outdoors on instagram the hunting stories official on instagram and uh, go ahead and make sure you share the podcast with at least one person today Um, we want to get as many people listening as possible so we get more storytellers reaching out saying dude I got this crazy story and I got to tell it to you and the only way we do that is word of mouth so thank you again guys and and Bert of course thank you I really do appreciate it it was a ton of fun now everybody get out there make some stories of your own